0: Well, good morning again, and if you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be also in Ephesians chapter 5, and so we'll be going there quickly as we read the opening passage from Colossians and then move over to Ephesians 5 to continue our examination of that passage where relative to Paul's instructions um, as it relates to a husband loving his wife. let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this time to be together here um, as the redeemed of Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would cause us to be attentive and to be focused on your word. Uh, We rejoice that we are known by you, that we can know you through your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would keep us and preserve us for your glory and for your honor. Help us to understand the instruction that we are receiving. These are important topics, and and the issue of marriage is much maligned and disregarded in the present age. Um, it's not given the significance or honor that it deserves. It's not recognized as something that you have ordained from the very beginning of time, and so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to have a greater sense of um, our commitment to you through the imagery that's used in Scripture, and also um, how to better love our wives and to be Engage with them in a way that honors uh, your name and all that we do and say. We praise you this morning. Bless us with the presence of your Holy Spirit, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Colossians chapter 3 has become all uh, very familiar to us. We've been here for quite a while now, and we will continue to be here in these particular imperative passages. Paul having laid a great foundation for us to understand how it is that Christians live this new creational lifestyle. Christians live, act, think, and conduct themselves differently from the world. It's because of who they are, and Paul has established that, and the nature of that change is is explained to us in the first portion of uh, chapter 3 in part, knowing that we've been clothed in a new nature, that God has given us the ability now, unlike the natural man, to comprehend the things of God, and so doing, we then live in a particular way, and that's why Paul uses the word so at the beginning of verse 12 let's read colossians three twelve, and on so as those who have been chosen of god holy and beloved put on a heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the lord forgave you so also should you beyond all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity that's an important verse for paul And we saw last Sunday how Paul uses that to kind of tie everything together, and it's an important theme, of course, with respect to the relationship between the husband and the wife, and we need to make certain that we're understanding that, that we don't lose that bond, we don't lose this call uh, in the context of our marriage. If anything, it's amplified, and we understand what love is from looking at Scripture. We went to 1 Corinthians 13, we've considered the meaning of this word, the agape-type love that only a Christian can demonstrate. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 then. And and understanding Paul's explanation and exhortations there, we turn to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22, and in particular verse 25. And we'll read this passage as well through verse 33. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's very similar to Colossians 3.18. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. So this is important. This issue of headship is critically important. The husband is the head of the home, and this is a role that God has given to him. And Paul wants to make certain that that is clear. This is an issue that's problematic in today's age where men have given up or abrogated this responsibility, oftentimes to their wife, um, which is completely unbiblical and and needs to be checked um, to make certain that we're not drifting from what God's intended will is for the home. Bearing in mind that this exhortation from Paul here in verse 23 reaches back into the creation mandate that we looked at a few weeks ago in Genesis 1 through 3. We see what God ordained with regard to the order of the home, Adam having been created first, Eve from Adam, and the responsibility that attendant with that. Do not forget that. That's important. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So here's what's significant. Notice the transition. Paul goes from the issue of headship and submission Not to the issue then of the intricacies of how one is the head, but rather to the issue of love. Headship, he doesn't go from headship to ruleship, he goes from headship to loveship. And this is often a point that's either not not correctly emphasized or taught correctly. There's a lot of talk about submission, there's a lot of emphasis on that with regard to the role of the woman, and we've spent our time talking about what that means, but there's much more said about the husband than there is about the woman in the context of this relationship about the wife. And so Paul then transitions right over to the husbands, and he lays out for them a very high calling. We began to unpackage that last week. Husbands, he says, and again, it's directed to Christian husbands. We know in Colossians chapter 1 that Paul is writing to saints. He calls them holy ones. So these are Christian husbands. So Christian husbands, pay attention. I know there are many here this morning. So if you want to know what a Christian husband does, this is it. This is your instruction manual. This is your owner's manual, if you will, for your happy marriage. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we see here the principle of sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Verse 26 importantly, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body." For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So importantly, what we find then here in both Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5 is that Paul does not tell husbands to force their wives to be subject. Rather, it commands the husband to love them as Christ has loved the church. As Christ has loved the church. I made reference last week that, um, uh, that, that you're not to be the Archie Bunker husband, if you will. Um, and some of you still probably don't know who Archie Bunker is, but nonetheless, if you didn't talk to Dell, I'm sure he's free this afternoon to explain that further to you. The note was that the husband who plops himself in front of the TV and orders his wife around like a slave has abandoned Christ for Archie Bunker. And all, often that's the case, sadly, in many homes. It's not to be that way at all. So what we know and what we understand then from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, is that this is a sacrificial love. Husbands are to love their wife sacrificially. And so we see here that Paul sets the standard of loving one's wife as Christ loves the church. The greater responsibility falls on the husband to imitate Christ's loving leadership. This is loving leadership. It's not not, um, a dictatorial type of arbitrary and heavy-handedness, which is oftentimes the default position that men want to take. Our tendency is to fall into that box, and we have to check ourselves and be mindful of that. And so this issue of loving one's wife as Christ loves the church is certainly important for Paul and important for us to understand. And I do want to say this, that, that in the context of this issue of love, the, 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 the principle is important. This love is not a sterile or laboratory type of love, and it's more than friendship. It's much more than that. There is, a, there is an intimacy, a connection, a desire, a passion, a compassion, a protection, all of that attendant with a sense of uh, a, an adoring love for someone that God has given to you as your wife. We see that in the context of how Christ loved the church and what we have in the Old Testament is the Song of Solomon, which is used for us to paint a very vivid picture, if you will, of the means by which Christ has loved his church. You have a setting and a context that's well understood by you and is very descriptive of the nature of that type of love. You can be friends with anybody, but loving your wife is much different than that. She is your friend, of course. I hope that's the case. She ought to be your best friend. But she ought to also be your lover and your confident and someone who is, is, is close to you in that way, who holds your affection, who is the desire of your heart, who satisfies your needs in that regard. This is what we're talking about. And I'm not trying to paint some inappropriate type picture. You know what I mean. But certainly in the context of what Scripture tells us, if there is this sense of self-sacrificing love, then there ought to be a connection between the two that allows that to happen and fosters it and not prevents it. And so Paul here sets this standard before the men. It's a high calling. There's no higher calling, frankly, in the context of how to love somebody. Are, Are you kidding me? Love your wife as Christ has loved the church? Well, this means you have to understand how he loved the church doesn't it? So you have to be a theologian to properly love your wife. Well, everyone's a theologian. We know that. Everyone thinks about God. Everyone thinks about those types of things. We have to think about them correctly and biblically. And so the standard for regulating the husband's leadership is Christ's own own self-sacrificing love. We know this from Scripture. Christ loved the church, and he demonstrated his love in the deepest way possible. How did he do that? He gave himself for his bride. He gave himself for his bride. He died for her. He died for her. Look at verse 25. We understand this, what Paul is saying. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, that's significant. We understand then that this love is one that gives oneself over to the other person, even to the point of death even to the point of death. Now, now again, one of the things that we can take away on another side of this is the issue of the importance of the church. Let's not lose sight of that for one moment, just as a kind of a rabbit trail theological issue, the issue of the church is very important. We see then how much he loves the church. Well, then it means the church is what? It's pretty important, right? It's not to be disregarded. We're not the Grange. This isn't the VFW. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with either one of those, but they're not churches. And so we don't come here in the context of that type of mindset. And indeed, those things are beneath what this is. Bearing in mind that what this is is so significant that Christ gave himself for it. That's important. And so in the context of a marriage, though, we see that Christ gave himself for his bride. He died for her, verse 25. He is the Savior of the body, verse 23. More excellent excellent love than this is inconceivable, ultimately, we know. What we also see is in verse 26 is that Christ also sanctifies and cleanses her. And he will also see to her full glorification in the future, verse 27. This is significant. It's significant in terms of understanding the importance of church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We see that Christ will present his bride, the church, to himself, holy and blameless, as he, the bridegroom, is holy and blameless. Verse 27. So this is the kind of costly, comprehensive, loving headship that Christ exercises over his church. This is agape love. It's selfless self-giving love so men that's your baseline that's and that's a big one so the foundation in the context of your marriage and how you love your wife is what we just covered all these things that are attendant with christ's love for the church and how he loved his bride is the example that you are then given to follow this is an optional now here's what's funny About this. I know you're not laughing right now. And perhaps the Holy Spirit is using a lot of elbows this morning. I don't know. But nonetheless, what's significant is that what Paul does, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that if you don't get this, if you say, Well, I can't comprehend that, well, then he does this. It's kind of like loving your wife for dummies, in a way. (laughs) Love her like you love yourself. Right? I mean, you've seen those big yellow books and bookstores about, you know, Engine repair for dummies and things like that. Well, he, he brings it down to the basis level. Not that there's anything dumb about God's word, I'm not saying that. But in the context of, of dropping the theological argument down to the, the, the lowest level, if you will, he does. If you can't love her this way, if you can't comprehend this necessarily, then you love her like you love yourself. Well, how much do you love yourself? Quite a bit. Look at your golf bag, look at your garage, look at your barn. love yourself quite a bit. There's a lot there. And so, again, men, we want to make certain that we're grasping this important issue. Now, again, only you can do this. Only you, as the redeemed of Christ, can love your wife in this way. So she gets to be the beneficiary of your redemption in this way. Again, this is written to Christian husbands. And so Christian husbands axiomatically one of my favorite words in all of the world necessarily they, they just, this is what you do now why do I do this because of what Paul has described in Colossians chapter 3 about being clothed with a new nature we know from 1 Corinthians 2.14 the natural man receives not the things of God their foolishness to him so I'm not going to go to a secular marriage conference and preach Ephesians 5 it won't make a lick of sense to them I'll give them the gospel instead so they can understand Ephesians 5 and love their wives the way they ought to. Men, you have been changed in your very nature to do this. So you can do it. You're like Bob the Builder. Can we build it? Yes, we can. Can I love her this way? Yes, I can. If you don't know who Bob the Builder is, you can ask Lauren. I don't, you know... You know, Dell probably doesn't know who Bob the Builder is. <laughs> we're, we're teasing out the age you know, gap here at the Community Bible Church. And so what we see then, Christian husbands are, in the highest sense, to love their wives, to give their all for their wives, even their lives if necessary. Do you love your wife that much? men? Would you be prepared to give your life for her, to sacrifice yourself for her? This is what's being communicated. Now, I know the opportunity to do that doesn't often present itself and is likely not to present itself in the context of how we live today, but what it speaks to is the other areas that you ought to be willing to give up in order to demonstrate your love for her not always seeking your way, not always demanding your way. Remember, this headship is governed by loveship, not ruleship. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not the head. And this is the problem that we have. And I I don't quite know how to, I, I guess, speak to it in some way because we live in a culture, in an age in which men have been so emasculated that it's hard to even talk about these things anymore. Men are no longer the men that God designed them to be. They're a corruption of what God intended. And so what ends up happening is that we then morph into our principles of headship, ideas related to feminism and progressive liberalism and other ideas that erode the headship. We think we can't be loving and leading at the same time, but this is loving leadership. Christ has not given over or given up or abrogated, another one of my favorite words, his headship, has he? He is still the head of the church, is he not? And he is that way in a very commanding way. He is gentle, but let's not forget what the word gentle means. It means power under control. If I gentle a horse, I am am utilizing every feature of that horse to the point of almost perfection in some ways as god intended it to be used i haven't changed it; it's still a horse in fact it's a better horse now it backs it spins it side passes it does all sorts of things i can open a gate from his back i can herd cattle i can rope a cow i can pull a bale of hay i can pull logs i can ride down the road i can hitch it to a cart i can do all sorts of things with it it's power under control but it's still a horse and it's a good horse men you are still men And you need to act like men. And ladies, you need to let your men be men and stop taking their manship from them. In the context of usurping their leadership, it's this idea that we can't be leaders anymore because if you're a leader, you're a bigot, or you're something else. You're a misogynist, you're you're heavy-handed. That's not the case. Christ still leads the church, and he does so with authority. This, this Christ who loves the church is the same Christ who walked into the, 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 the tabernacle and cleansed it out with a cat of nine tails and turned over the tables. Not that you need to walk into your house with a cat of nine tails. Uh, no offense, Mary Lynn. Um, it's not a cat with nine tails, but... If I ever saw a cat with nine tails, I would probably keep that cat. (laughs) But you understand what I mean. So, gentlemen, husbands, you need to love your wife in this way. This is very practical. This is God's will for your life. This is how God wants you to do this thing. What is God's will for your life? Paul says even your sanctification. Well, this is your sanctification. You're learning something about yourself as a Christian husband that you are called to do and most importantly have been equipped to do. God has given you a new nature that enables you to do this. How do I know that? Well, because Paul told me in Colossians 3:12, that's the point of the so So, I could do this. Go back to Colossians 3.12 for a minute in the context of a husband. I could do this. So, go to verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. I could do it this way, Colossians 3.12. So, those who have been chosen of God, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Do you see that? That's exactly what's going on here. And so for you, as a husband, this is what God has chosen you in the context of your salvation to do. This is how you live out the reality of the fact that God has saved you. This is one of the ways. That's important. And so we see from Ephesians 5, one of the first principles that we know then is the issue of cultivating this attitude of love, this agape love, giving your all for your wife in that way. So what does this ultimately mean then, too, from a practical standpoint? Well, you're to protect your wife from evil influences and cultivate their spiritual perfection and beauty. That's the picture that we have then, do we not? From what Paul says in Ephesians 5, this idea of 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 verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless, attendant with those types of things that Christ has done for the church. Is the husband then protecting his wife from evil influences and cultivating in her her spiritual perfection and beauty. Wow! You may have wondered well, why? Why is verse twenty-six there? Could, can't we just do twenty-five and move on? I, what, what's that all about? Well, it's, it's it's giving you the picture then of the robust nature, the multidimensional characteristic of this type of agape love. Christ does that for the church, does He not? Does not the church? Does not Christ protect the church from evil influences? Does not Christ? cultivate spiritual perfection within the church? Does not Christ cultivate spiritual beauty within the church? Absolutely, that's what he does. This is the point. So husbands, your role then is both in the context of living in front of her and with her in a manner and a means by which these things are done for her. Clearly, this means that you're the spiritual head of your home that you are the spiritual leader of your home. That is your responsibility. I lament the fact that oftentimes the leading theologian in the home is the wife. Nothing that there's wrong with wives being theologians. They need to be. They ought to be. If they're a believer, they want to be. But I oftentimes see the woman making the spiritual decisions, not the husband. I don't understand that. Can you make the decisions together? Yeah. But ultimately, the buck stops with him. He's the one who has been given the charge in the context of headship to do that. So here's the problem. Look at this for a second. Now watch, watch this. We see then that in the context of verses 26 and 27, what Paul is saying is that Christ loves the church in this way. He protects the church from from evil influences. He protects the church in the context of preserving its perfection and its beauty. Who didn't do that? Adam. Adam didn't do that, did he? Adam did not do that. What did Adam do? He stood by. Well, what happened? Well, here he, comes, he walks the serpent. He starts talking to Eve. Where is Adam? Adam's right there. What's he doing? He's just standing there. Now, listen to me for a minute. Adam, at that point in time, is the smartest person in the world. I'm not kidding. His mind, now I want you to think about this for a minute. His mind worked in ways that you can't even imagine. A mind untainted by sin, a mind uncorrupted in its full-orbed capacity as the spoken creation of God stood by. And watched his wife engage Satan. Wow. Wow. He did not protect her from evil influences. What should have Adam done? He should have the. Well, first of all, I mean, I don't want to engage in too much speculation. But but maybe did did Adam even know that he was there? Probably in some way. I mean, he's walking around. He's there. He sees Eve, he starts talking to Eve. Adam stands there, the whole thing goes down right in front of him. He doesn't say a word. And then he participates in the whole thing, condones it. He gives over his leadership responsibility to his wife. His spiritual responsibility was to toss him out, he was to protect her and the garden. So it was an abrogation both of his responsibility to his wife and to the Lord. He was placed in the garden for what purpose? To attend to it to guard it to protect it to keep it pure he didn't so gentlemen men do not follow in the footsteps of the first adam but rather follow in the footsteps of the second adam oh <laughs> now what did the second adam do well let's think about what the second adam did What did did Christ do when he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights? He resisted the temptation that Satan presented. He, 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 He preserved his ability to protect the church. What did he do when Satan took him to all those places and said, I will give you all of these things if you do this? He didn't yield, did he? But the first Adam did. The second Adam didn't. So this is why the second Adam is the example that you're given, men, as a man, the, the way in which you're to love your wife, not the first one. Isn't the Bible amazing? I just love that. So, Adam didn't protect his wife from evil influence. So men, what does this mean? What does this look like? Well, there's all sorts of things that come into the home in the context of evil influences. Uh, the, the places that you go, the people that you visit, the things that you watch and read and listen to. Dad, you're the one who has to say, no, that, that's not coming in. We're not doing that. Now, you may get some pushback, and that's okay. Leaders get pushback. That happens all the time, but you've got to lovingly lead through it. And you can explain, because you're a theologian, why you're doing what you're doing. You're going to identify what the evil influence is, and you're going to protect your wife from it, There's a lot of things out there. If you see your wife reading the book, Jesus Calling, guess what? You don't let her read the book, Jesus Calling. Why? Because it's heretical. It's nonsense. It's just junk. But you need to know why it's junk. You need to be able to explain why it's junk. Some woman sits down over a tree and God starts talking to her and she writes it down. That's what that book is about. Are you serious? It's one of the best-selling books ever written. I can't believe it. I got all kinds of things that come in my head. I, I don't dare write them down in, in that context. <laughs> I mean, what kind, of, what kind of a mind does she have? I, I mean, good night. So, men, you protect. Now, there's, we could talk somewhat, this talks about discernment. We, we are called to be discerning, we are called to live men in the context of self control. Uh, look at this for a minute. look, look at this. Second Peter. Let's we'll go to Second Peter for a minute.. Now, now, so, Christ is always the perfect example of any virtue that we're given. What is the book of Proverbs about? It's about Jesus Christ. Why is it about Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? Wisdom. right? that's who it is. Who on earth ever could live up to the standards in Proverbs? Jesus Christ did. Every time, all the time. That's what the book is about. So too with the issue that we find in 2 Peter. So in the context of protecting one's wife from evil influences, this incorporates into it the idea then of of demonstrating the reality of certain virtues that ought to be evident in a believer's life. Both a woman and a man. But in particular, we're talking about a husband, and we're talking about a husband then who can do these things that Paul describes Christ doing in Ephesians chapter 5. This issue of sanctifying the church is an example given to what a husband is doing for his wife. How on earth did he do that? Are you walking around all day with a Bible thumping over the head with it? And, and, and did you memorize your verse today? Did you do this? Did you, how many times did you pray? How many verses did you read? No, it's not like that. But it plays out in the normal everyday living of life in the context of making Christ the priority and demonstrating the reality of your conversion and the reality of your sanctification by demonstrating certain virtues that Christians have. Again, I can't emphasize that enough. Christians can do these things. You must stop thinking that you cannot do them. You can do it. Bob the Christian. Can you do it? Yes, you can, Bob the Christian. I'm going to write a kid's book now. Look, now, husband, I want you to think about this. So, Paul says to me that I am to sanctify, like Christ sanctifies the church and preserves the church's perfection and its beauty. I'm to be doing that for my wife too. How on earth do I do it? I look at 2 Peter. I do this. Look at verse 4. No, no, no. Go to verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Okay? Something's happening. I'm, I'm growing in something. Importantly, it's knowledge. Paul does the same thing in Colossians. Remember that. Verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to you, husband, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Pertaining to life. Well, What's life? You get married, that's life, right? You raise kids, that's life, right, too, isn't it? Absolutely. Pertaining to life and God, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So there again, Paul, Peter, like Paul, reaches back into this whole doctrine of election thing. You were saved and chosen for a purpose. Now, what? Verse four, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You don't become little gods, but you are indwelled by the work of the Holy Spirit. You are are made new creation in Jesus Christ. You are in union with Christ. That's the point. It's Paul's point in Colossians 3, or all of Colossians for that matter. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So Christians have been have the ability to be outside of the corruption, if you will, to to resist the corruption, to live in the context of of a life that demonstrates that they are not corrupted by the world anymore. They're not the natural man. They're new creation in Jesus Christ. So now, men, you are going to be able to engage in the idea of protecting your wife and your family from evil influences because you're now going to do verse 5. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence. Now, we've talked about this before, but that phrase means that you're working hard at this. Not out of a sense I'm getting more merit to become more saved. You can't be more saved. That's ground we've covered. But you have the ability now, and because you love Jesus Christ so much, and because you know that you've been saved and redeemed and bought with something more precious than silver and gold, you're now going to work diligently to achieve, to demonstrate the reality by demonstrating certain characteristics. These characteristics, these virtues, tease out the ability of a husband to protect his wife and family from evil influences, to sanctify. That's what sanctification is about, really, in many ways. So look, husband, in your faith, so out, not that, not that you're supplying that, but in the context of faith out of real faith grows. The fertile soil of the virtues is the faith. Comes what? Moral excellence. Virtue, if you will. So that's important. So all of a sudden you're seeing, okay, I got this. I can do this. I can see what Peter's saying. I'm, I'm in union with Christ. I'm, I have the power, the ability. I've got this resurrection power in me, this dynamite power, if you will. That's the language that Peter uses. And and because of that, I'm able to do these things that I'm going to use now to fulfill what Christ did for the church in my home too. Moral excellence. Well, who was perfectly morally excellent? Jesus Christ, right? That's what he does for the church. He demonstrates that virtue all the time. Husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. There you go. That's one. Look at the next one. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. Now, that's important, too, because we're talking here about just not a surfacey kind of knowledge, but it's, it's, the, it's, it's knowledge that turns into wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied. So, I read the book of Proverbs, I read the Bible, I obtain knowledge about it. But if I don't allow that knowledge to inform my mind by shaping my actions and my thoughts then it's nothing. It's just knowledge. It's like books on a shelf that are never read. They're of no use other than they look good. But the knowledge applied is the the wisdom, the demonstration of the reality of it. Paul prays in Colossians that the Colossian believers' knowledge would increase and that they would demonstrate the reality of it by what they are doing and thinking. And so for Peter, too, the same thing happens knowledge and in your knowledge self-control well there's a good one how many husbands need self-control you can raise your hand right there i got one hand in the back great man i got my work is not done it's okay to raise your hand um, in the church for certain reasons (laughs) all right so self-control that's important self-control so a person who is under control in this way that's being spoken of here is, is going to be one who is going to be able to identify evil influences and not engage in them. Not engage in them. Now, there could be a whole litany of things that can fall into that category, and I'm not going to become, you know, I don't want to become like, like legalistic about this in the context of creating this, a list of things you can't do. I'm not that guy. But... I do believe that there are certain activities and behaviors and patterns and lifestyle choices that are evil in and of themselves or will allow evil influences to enter into the home that a husband has to be on guard against for his wife and for his children. Remember that you're loving your wife the way that Christ has loved the church. This is the demonstration of it. So I use God's Word to help me understand God's Word. How do I understand Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 and 26 and 27 and 28? How does that work? What does that look like? Christ, it says, is sanctifying the church. He's preserving her. He's keeping her. he's, He's perfecting her. He's beautifying her. How do I do that for my wife? Well, you do it by living out the reality of these virtues in front of her and with her to help her. Now, I have more to say about that issue, too. Peter, again, in 1 Peter chapter 3, deals with the issue of the husband's tender leadership of his wife in this regard with respect to his reference to the weaker vessel. Now, man, people get ramped up about this one. I mean, it's right up there with submission. Don't say weaker vessel and submission in the same sentence. Well, I just did. So... It's not to be demeaning in any way. It's it's, it's really a respectful reference to the loving nature by which a husband leads again his wife. Recognizing that headship can be abusive, Peter is saying to this man, don't lead her in such a way that you forget who she is. Now, women are created differently than men. As I have said repeatedly, she's not your drinking buddy. Now, she may drink with you. That's up to you. But she's not in the context of what that terminology means today in regards to that idea. So, men, be mindful of this. So, again, these virtues ought to be evident as you are doing these things. Now, now, had, had Adam been doing these things, we'd have a whole different story in front of us, wouldn't we? But he didn't. He didn't. Do we have self-control? Perseverance. Wow, perseverance. Unswavering, not veering off, staying the course. Husbands, that's how you are to be. Who did that perfectly? Jesus Christ. For who? The church. Aren't you grateful for Christ's perseverance? Yes, you are. So too should you demonstrate that with your, husband, with your wife. Godliness. Godliness in the sense of not being like a, like a braggadocious moralist but a person whose life has been saturated with God's Word in such a way that they, they live out the reality of it in the context of their everyday life. They want to honor God in what they do. They pursue God in the context of wanting to know more about Him, that type of, of, of the sense of the Word. Brotherly kindness. Loving your neighbor, loving your wife in that context. And love, look at that love, there it is, wow. We we can't get away from it, can we? There it is. And it's the last one. And like 3.14 in Colossians, it's that bond that holds it all together, right? Because all of these things performed without love are not very good sometimes. They become abusive, they become heavy-handed, they become problematic. So I'm gonna leave it there for today. And so men, what you then have so what we, do, what we understand then, so we've been looking at this issue of, of the sacrificial love in the context of what Paul is calling us to do. Now remember, the contrast in, three, four, in, in Colossians 3.19 is that the opposite of this loving your wife is becoming harsh and bitter against them. So we don't, we don't want that, but we want to demonstrate the reality of our, of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by doing then what Christ is doing for the church So we know that he has loved the church sacrificially, that he then, as a consequence of that, protects the church from evil influences and cultivates the church's spiritual perfection and beauty. That then is what a husband does for the wife. The Lord's pattern of love for his church is the husband's pattern of love for his wife. The Lord's pattern of love for his church is the husband's pattern of love for his wife wife. That's what Paul's doing. And so you're understanding this now, I hope, that that's what this looks like in terms of your relationship with your wife. whole lot more there to it, right, guys? A A lot to learn, a lot to do, a lot to think about, but that's okay. God gave you good minds, and he expects you to use them, and I trust that you are through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this exhortation. These words of encouragement, instruction, perhaps even conviction this morning. We all need to improve in these areas. We all need to um, have a, a greater heart's desire to live in a way that is pleasing to you, that demonstrates the reality of our election and our salvation. As Peter exhorts us to do, may these things be evident in our lives in both practical, everyday ways and also in the way that we love our wives. We Praise you in the name of of Christ, and we ask for the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon the preaching of the word today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.